0: All right, guys, so we have an interview today with Mike Matthews of Muscle for Life for today's donation. He chose Children Incorporated, which is basically about getting children their basic needs and education, things like that. Uh, we go into it a little bit more in the interview and then we get into the details about his success. So I hope you enjoy.
1: We chose it's me and, and two other people in the company, um, three actually. We, we kind of get together once a quarter and go hunting for a charity that we like. And we chose Children Incorporated because... They what they do is they partner with established schools, orphanages, homes, and child care, child care centers um, and do various things to address the specific needs of, of the kids that they serve. And, you know, that's clothing, food, hygiene items, school supplies, stuff like that. And I don't remember the exact numbers I could pull up, uh, but it was also what we liked is the impact that we could have in terms of, um, okay, so if for every thousand dollars, for example, that you give like this is actually how many children you're going to be providing with these things. So we like that, too, that it could get down to, you know, specific numbers where where we can go. Cool. Our money didn't just disappear into a combine. And um, so, yeah, that's why.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's always great when you know, people have really looked into this already and, and you obviously have. Um, and like you said, with the numbers, like with Operation Smile, who I work with, they, they kind of do something similar for every $240 is roughly how much is needed to get one child to surgery. Um, so that, that's cool that you can kind of see more or less of where the money is going. Exactly. So thanks for making like, me aware of that one. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like I said, you're obviously a very big name now. And I was impressed to find like when I came across your work because you're very evidence-based and a lot of people, unfortunately, who I think are, you know, really like, you know, have maybe millions of followers or something like that. They're kind of like six-pack shortcuts or, you know, they have a lot of like gimmicky nature to them.
1: Um, Where it's more about, it's more about marketing than substance.
0: Right. And, and you, despite, you know, selling so many books and everything that's based on, you know, good advice. So I, I was impressed to find that, but can you kind of just explain how you got into this, how you got into the more of the evidence-based side um, and just how you transitioned into everything?
1: Thanks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my story is a bit unconventional because it starts with me publishing, self-publishing a book, bigger, leaner, stronger back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And that was the result of educating myself, taking a few years to educate myself. And not that it takes that long to educate yourself, but also walking the walk and, that's, it was during that period where I uh, kind of was able to create my personal transformation, so to speak, that um, anybody has seen if they have followed me in my work, where mm-hmm. I went from lifting weights uh, very consistently for about seven years and looking okay, I guess, um, to uh, looking quite a bit better. In, in and in it, it, it wasn't an overnight thing at all. It took probably about two to three years to really see a major difference and four to five years to have that kind of wow effect. And part of that was learning the diet side of things and learning how to get really lean and stay lean. Um, But then part of that also was fixing my training. And at that point, it was more about correcting muscle imbalances and correcting things about my physique that were just out of proportion due to how I was training previously. So I did that myself. And I was like, I'm going to write a book, and I'm just going to make it uh, a short-ish, I didn't want it to be too long, kind of minimum viable product, just a simple book that I wish somebody would have given me back when I started, and that was Bigger Than or Stronger, the first edition, and I published it on Amazon's KDP platform, didn't know if anybody would even care or buy it, Uh and I sold maybe 20 copies the first month, and I was happy. I was like, cool. Somebody, yeah. bought, somebody bought my book. That's neat. So, so yeah. So, I put, it, uh, I put it up on Amazon. And um, I already said that. What the fuck? I had said that uh, – okay. So, I'll go. i continue. So, I, I had put in the, in the book, I put my email address and just told people – I had a domain, buildhealthymuscle.com, right? And I just – might at buildhealthymuscle.com. And I, and I had an email in there saying, hey, if you have any questions or suggestions or if you want to tell me anything or ask me anything – Here's my email and I started to hear from people and by the end of 2012 bigger leaner stronger was selling several thousand copies per month and um, I had done nothing in terms of promotion that was just via word of mouth and um, whatever happens organically behind the scenes on Amazon in terms of algorithms and so forth and so there I saw there was an opportunity I believe I had also published uh, one or two other shorter books kind of just as trial balloons Um during that period but really it was in the end of 2012 when I saw there was an opportunity and so then I started working on a website muscle for life and launched that in 2013 and continued to write books and started writing articles uh, at muscle for life and that grew very quickly and um, started a, a supplement company as well that was twenty five. 2014, I believe, was 2014 was the first year for Legion and have created an app and have just continued to create things that um, have been generally pretty well received.
0: Yeah, that's I think that's cool. It? It's not just one avenue. You have all these different things. And I think that's why you continue to grow and become more popular because people who might, you know, only follow apps or only follow websites or only follow, you know, different areas, they, they all see you. Yeah, um, which I think it's part of it. Yeah. Or
1: some people, if they don't really like to read, they can I have a podcast that I've mm-hmm. recorded a couple hundred episodes on um, and I've done a little bit on YouTube. Not much may or may not get into that more. Uh, I, I don't think I'm going to be giving it much time in the foreseeable future, but that mm-hmm. may change. Um, but also to answer your question, in terms of how did I get into the evidence base uh, element is I mean, that's just kind of made sense to me. I guess for, for on the diet side of things, for example, um, you really, you could, at this point, you really only need to read a few good reviews, uh, research reviews to understand really everything that you need to know as far as diet goes to, to change your body composition and however you want to change it. And to even, even to stay healthy. I mean, sure you can get really into uh, optimizing everything, but You know, I'm not convinced that the added effort even really has that much of a payoff. Yeah. Like if you just have your basics, you understand energy balance, you understand macronutrient balance, and you get the majority of your calories from relatively, un, relatively unprocessed foods, you make sure that you get enough fiber, uh, which you're mostly going to do just eating enough fruit and vegetables. Right. And um, if you if you want to go a little bit further and go, you know, make sure that you're getting a bit of monounsaturated fat, a bit of saturated fat, you, you can – I guess, tinker around a little bit, but it's really not that hard. Beyond that, uh, I personally, and this is based on my current understanding of um, of the, I guess I'd say the nutrition literature, if you are also exercising and maintaining good sleep hygiene and doing the basic things you should be doing, it's probably not worth the extra time and effort to um, go overboard kind of OCD in terms of planning um, every calorie of your, of your diet or getting too too into the weeds in terms of biohacking and things like that. But, um, so, so that was, I just seemed, I I don't have a great answer. It just seemed like the obvious thing, um, in terms of, well, let's see what, let's see what scientific research is out there. Um, simply because I already had, um, I I mean, just have a, a general respect for the scientific method and figured that with, obesity medicine as big as it is. And with how much money has been poured into it for decades now, I figured that they have to know something about this. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that scientists, they have less of an incentive to lie to me than mainstream fitness gurus. So I'll just go over there. And, um, so that, that worked out well. And then on the training side of things, exercise science is more complicated for sure. And there are probably a lot more, questions, unanswered questions that, that could be important to more, I would say the people who are, are really into this, uh, in terms of building muscle and getting strong, but, um, for the, for the average person. So you take the average dude who really to have the body that he wants, he probably only needs to gain 20 to 30 pounds of muscle and get to about 10% body fat and that's it. He's done. He's happy. Yeah. Um, and if he could just maintain that without having to live in the gym or follow some weird ass diet, he'll be super happy. And for the average woman, it's maybe gaining 10 to max 20, but probably for most women, it's 10 to 20 pounds, 10 to 15 pounds of muscle and, and keeping their body fat somewhere around 20%. Most women are super happy with that. And that is very easy to, well, it's very straightforward. You don't need, you don't need to spend too much time in the, muscle building literature in the in the exercise literature to um to to get at least a, a basic idea of how you're going to get there um, you know, you can quickly learn the importance of mechanical tension and, you know, you have like the three muscle building pathways, right? There's mechanical tension, there is muscle damage, and there is metabolic stress mm-hmm. uh, or, or cellular, cellular fatigue or cellular stress. There are different different terms for it. Um, and you can read up a bit on the importance of volume and a bit on the importance of progressive overload. and frequency is less important, but there aren't, there aren't that many moving parts that you have to understand to kind of put the puzzle together and go, okay. So, um, if I focus on compound exercises, exercises that involve multiple muscle groups, multiple joints, and those just kind of give you the most bang for, for your buck. And if I lift relatively heavy weights, they don't have to, they can be there's no single best rep range for gaining muscle. I mean, I would make some arguments for some, for a lower like maybe 4 to 6, 5 to 7, 6 to 8, something like that. Uh, but you still you can you can do fine if you go a bit higher, 8 to 10, 10 to 12, 12 to 15 is where I think you're starting to get into. It's going to be it's going to be less efficient for gaining muscle and strength for multiple reasons. But again, that's that's pretty flexible and you can you can get an idea of how much How many, when I say volume, I like to think of it in in terms of how Greg Knuckles uh, from Stronger by Science, how he thinks of it and just hard sets. So you can get, you know, you can go really, some people, they like to track volume in multiple different ways, number of reps, total, uh, total weight lifted. I like hard sets because it simplifies things and it's, it's very practical. And again, we're not, none of us, myself included, are competitive strength athletes who are you know planning our entire year uh of training to kind of culminate in um well to culminate you have to have these peaks for for meets and right where they're kind of living and dying by their numbers and for those for those people gaining 50 pounds on their big lifts is huge you know what i mean and for an intermediate or advanced weightlifter to do that you have to uh, yeah it does actually take quite a bit of thought quite a bit of uh, programming knowledge, in addition to quite a bit of work. But for the for the average person, they don't need to know all that. They don't need to mess with periodization. Um, they don't need to get fancy. They can just stick to the to the basics and the fundamentals. And ironically, even at the high levels, the high competitive levels, it's still the basics. It's still the fundamentals that drive the results. It's just they. There is a point where it does make sense to add a little bit of complexity, because it allows you to, for example, get more volume in, or it allows you to um, progressively overload a little bit more effectively. So that's how that's. I mean, that's how I kind of. I guess I kind of stumbled into the research just because, in thinking about it initially, I was like, "Well, I'm just going to go there first and see what kind of information is available," Um, and. You know, it's also that's generally the type of information that most people don't go to. Most people don't want to do the hard work of reading scientific research. And not that it's that hard, but you do initially run into a wall of just technical jargon. So, you know, initially you have to spend a fair amount of time Googling around and uh, just, just to understand the words that are being said. Right not to mention the concepts that are trying to be communicated with those words. So that's kind of the, maybe it has a, a, a steep-ish intellectual barrier to entry. But once you get past that, and you start to build your vocabulary, and you start to understand um, the the basic terminology and some of the basic concepts, then you can make more progress. So in the beginning, yeah, it was a little bit annoying to where you know, it might take me hours to get through a paper that yeah. probably shouldn't take. I mean, somebody who uh, like someone like Eric Helms, who I like to have on my podcast, I mean, he would just read it one time and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm sitting there like four hours in <laughs> and, yeah. um, and and that that that's just that's just the way it is, though. So um, that's that's how I that's how I came into the kind of kind of the evidence based um game, I guess you could say, and then found it like, it's also good from a marketing perspective too, where then I could demonstrate at least that, at least that my statements and my claims were backed by something. And I, and I, you know, from the beginning would always provide links. And so people could fact check me, they could go look at the, if they are so inclined, go look at the research. I say, okay, I just said that, um, there are three primary muscle building pathways. Well, if I were writing that, I would link that to a study that goes over that. So at least right. then somebody can go, all right, well, you know, if I'm if I'm being cynical, which I think consumers in just in general uh, should be cynical, but especially health and fitness consumers should be very sure. cynical, yeah. um, you know, so they can click through and they, they at least can go, all right, well, he did the work to put this link here. I don't know if he read this research. I don't know if this research has anything to do with his claim. But now I can, I, if I want to, I can check it out. And there's a lot of the research that I cite is, is free. It's publicly available. And a lot of it's not. Um, and there are different ways to... To get access to papers beyond just straight paying. Now there's, there's like deep dive and there's another service. I forget the name off the top of my head. Um, but there are more affordable ways to get access to research. Or if you know somebody like I have a, uh, a research assistant, um, I guess you could say she's a PhD student at Oxford and she's great. Cause one, she has access to everything period. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I ever need something, I can go to her and also, um, she, if I like, I want to write an article on something or, you know, I'm working on a a second edition of one of my books right now. And I want to know a bit more about the research on humor and laughter. And I want to just know if there, what's out there in terms of, trait that trait in 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 people and just general life outcomes and so I can send her off and she she just loves doing this kind of thing so she'll go off into the literature she has access to everything and she'll pull a bunch of papers and um, check them out and send the best ones over my way with usually some some of her own thoughts um, so that's that's another way if you if you have a friend and in, in college, they may, depending on what they're doing, they may have access to journals. So what has happened over time is a lot of educated people have kind of found their way into my orbit and actually checked out a lot of my claims. And um, I I know firsthand because I've heard from a lot of them who just say they appreciate the work that goes into, um, even if it's just an article on the website, it might only be a two or 3000 word article, but depending on the topic, depending on how much I know going into it and how complex it is, it might take, uh, between me and other people that are, that are helping, whether it's on the research side of things or on the drafting side of things, everything that that I publish, ultimately I have written. Um, sometimes I'll have a first draft. I have, you know, writers that I work with who can put together a first draft or an outline or something like that, but it might be 20 hours of total work that goes into producing that article. Uh, when you, when you take it into account the research time as well. So, you know, a lot of people that understand that appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and and that's actually one of the reasons I'm even more impressed that, you know, you have the popularity you do because um, it's not to a lot of people, you know, as they say, it's not sexy to sell the basics, um, but you still kind of provide the basics. I guess the way you write, you know, and the way you come across, people like, but uh, it's still, you know, a lot of people want that gimmick and and you still, you never – Kind of went down that path. It seems you still, you know, it's
1: true. And there, I mean, that's always that's a segment of the market, right? And I understand you have people out there who they just want to lose thirty pounds. They don't know uh, anything about any of the stuff that we've been talking about. And, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean they're stupid they might be very smart and they may know a lot about things that I know nothing about, but mm-hmm. they just get into it. And so they see an ad for a pill that says, Hey, take this pill. It's safe. It's natural. And, um, you'll learn, you'll lose 20 pounds in 30 days. And you know, they go, yeah, that sounds too good to be true, but they also have no frame of reference. They, they just go, ah, who cares? Whatever. It's, it's, it's $40 for the bottle. I'll try it. Right. You know what I mean? So. You have a lot of a lot of those people out there, which means there always is a market for bullshit. Um, fortunately, though, you have okay. The person they do that once, it doesn't work. Maybe they try. Maybe they're like, "All right, these supplements, these magic bullet supplements, uh, I'm not those. Those aren't going to get the job done. I'll try the the magic bullet diet instead, mm-hmm. All right?" And they may lose some weight, like let's say ketogenic diet, that's the thing these days, right? Right. And depending on their, on their calorie intake and calorie expenditure, and depending on what they do, they may lose weight on the, on the keto diet. I mean, certainly if they're eating a lot of carbs and they go to eating not a lot of carbs, they will lose some weight. There will be an initial, um, you know, there'll be some water loss and some glycogen loss, but once that, that, that'll be within the first week and then they'll see. So if they go, oh, for the first week they lose four pounds, like, well, that's cool. And then it just stagnates. Well, that's not cool. Or maybe they actually are in a calorie deficit and they lose a bit of fat and actual fat and they lose a bit of weight. And then – but they feel miserable. and They're like, this diet sucks. I can't do this. It's not sustainable. So eventually my point is um, you have – you know, you have the – the – People in in this space who prey on the ignorant, but you can only fool those people so many times before they become a bit more savvy and they start looking for things that are very much not like that. And so that's where I guess the the space that I fill because I'm not promising outrageous results. I'm promising good results and results that I think can be inspiring, but it's going to take time. It's going to take work. It is – it's not – complicated, but it's not necessarily easy. You're going to have to probably do, um, some things that you don't necessarily want to do. You're going to have to eat a bit less food than maybe you want to eat. You're going to have to do some workouts maybe when you'd rather not. But in the end, um, I mean, I, I, I've worked now with tens of thousands of people. So I would say as far as, you know, in my books, I try to give the best, the best possible one size fits all program that I can come up with. And that will work well for most people. And so that's flexible, right. that's flexible dieting. That's, you know, pu- putting most of your exercise time into resistance training and not cardio and making those resistance training workouts actually enjoyable and um, effective, which makes them more enjoyable. It's fun to come back to workouts every week when you're getting stronger and feeling better and seeing changes in your body. And uh, so, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's a lot of money in in just being dishonest and yeah. that's that's true that's true of any industry but you know in the end it's not worth it to me i can do fine and i do fine doing it my way and i can stand behind it and that matters to me
0: right and you know you said you kind of the uh what fits everybody as or you try to appeal to as many people as possible with these programs cuz obviously if you're not working one on one you can't be super specific so it's exactly. kind of like You know, what can I do to help the most people?
1: Yep. And then and then I'm always available via email and social media and so forth. And I've since the beginning, I mean, my my inbox is it's over one hundred thousand emails sent and received now. And so that's that's where and I've never charged for any of that because it just didn't make sense to me. I have a coaching program now, but I'm not the one doing the coaching and I don't pretend like I am. I have a whole team Mm -hmm. of coaches and they do a great job. Um, but it just, in the beginning I was like, I I don't feel like I will, given where my time is, I think the highest and best use of my time is creating content, not coaching people directly, even though one-on-one, even though I might enjoy that, I might in some ways find that even more fun, Ultimately, I think I will help more people if I keep on writing books and writing articles and recording podcasts and so yep. forth. So I've always been available via email um, and I have never asked people for anything, which also has allowed me to, um, like, it, it's not a big deal if they have to wait a week to get a reply. Right. Whereas if I were charging any any money, that, that may not be acceptable and understand, sure. understandably so. So I've kept it... I've kept it free and I've had a lot of people email over the years saying, hey, um, so I can't do this or I would like to do this or um, I already do a ton of exercise because I play this sport. How would I work this in? And I've been able to help a lot of people kind of customize it that way as opposed to trying to address, you know, um, a bunch of uncommon circumstances in the books themselves Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And and I think if you look at some of the most successful people in this realm, they a lot of people graduate to that. You know, um, I was hanging out with Greg Knuckles, I think two weeks ago now, and he was telling me he only really trains like a handful of people now because he's got the mass research review. um, Stronger by science. You look at Eric Helms. He doesn't really take on many clients anymore. He's doing also the mass research review um, and he's got his like strength pyramids and everything. I mean, a lot of people who started off just maybe doing one on one. They kind of graduate to how can I help as many people as possible, you know, with these projects I have.
1: Yep, yep, and inevitably that is if you can create content, um, that's probably one of the best ways to do it, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And something I, I like you said was that earlier in the conversation you said that you don't really believe that getting into like the really like nitty gritty details makes that much of a difference, and I totally agree because I mean I used to be extremely extremely obsessive with every little detail. Um, you know, I could tell you the calories that I ate for a 10 year period on any given day, because I just tracked it to the gram of like every macro. Um, and once I loosened up, it just didn't really make a difference to be honest. Um, I think once you have the majority of the basics, the differences you see in people who are, you know, consistent comes down to genetics for the most part. You know, if both, if two people have been doing it 10 years and they followed the basics, I don't think the difference is because one was more obsessive. I think at that point, it's it's largely genetic factors, which obviously in this realm are going to be important. Not that you can't overcome them to a degree, but it's still a huge influence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say in my own personal experiences, um, I'd say that the diet and nutrition side, mostly just the calories. Um, mm-hmm. That's the one thing that as I, because I kind of had a spurt of newbie-ish gains, even though I'd been lifting for many years, I was doing your standard overkill isolation workouts, bodybuilding workouts. I'd never, yeah. I'd never deadlifted once, uh, after seven, lot. seven years of weightlifting. Right. And I had like squatted on a Smith machine a number of times and whatever. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I had, I had obviously, and it, it was, it was newbie gains all over again for at least the first six to eight months of, of doing things correctly. Um, and then I, I would say after the first year or so, I definitely, was in the, in the intermediate phase also just by my numbers. And the one thing that definitely made a difference in terms of just being consistent was, or consistently making progress was being consistent with my calories. And that may be partly a genetic thing. Like it may just be, I was always a skinny ish dude growing up. I mean, I played sports and, um, I played, uh, I got in, I played different sports, but, but found, ice hockey as my thing. So I played a lot of hockey where it's an endurance sport and you need to have some lower body strength. But, uh, there was, I remember seeing this a few years ago, some dude, I forget his name. He was a number one round, like our number one pick, uh, in, in the draft in the NHL. And he couldn't do a single pull up. (laughs) So you don't, you don't, you do not need upper body strength or at least you don't need pull strength to be good at hockey. Um, and so when I got into, lifting and I've even done, you know, I think it was DNA fit. I've done a couple actually DNA tests and basically what, it, what, what, when you look at it all, my body's more for endurance. Like I could never be a great strength athlete. I just don't have the genetics for it. And yeah. the only reason why I've been able to gain, I also don't even have the, I don't have the anatomy for it. I'm fairly tall. I'm six, one to six, two. I have long femurs, Um, I have long arms, so that makes me a little bit better at deadlifting, but makes bench pressing, you know, I have to, I have to to move the bar a mile and squatting. I have to move the bar a mile. And, um, but I guess I have, there's one, I guess the term would, I think a term would be a polymorphism or one expression of a gene that is associated with improved recovery. And I guess, Mm you see that in a lot of lead athletes and then another that is associated with higher than average levels of testosterone. Mm. And so genetically speaking, that's probably why my body has responded fairly well in terms of muscle building. However, now I have six-ish years of good weightlifting under my belt in addition to the seven years or so of kind of bro lifting, like a Mm. big chest, a big chest and big arms basically. And still though, my FFMI is, uh, around 23. And, yeah. you know, I think, and I, and, and I, played around with different calculators that I've even built into my website and I could probably gain another 10 pounds of muscle. So this morning I weighed 197 pounds. I'm around 10% body fat. I'm six, one to six, two. So that's where I'm at. Um, I could probably gain another 10 pounds of muscle over three to five years, but I would have to, I'd have to be very meticulous with my calories and I'd have to really make I'd, I probably might even might even require two days, honestly, just because of my body. And at this point, it's uh, the amount of additional work it would take. Um, but what I've noticed is calorie intake is one thing that, uh, I found that I really had to, to track just to make sure that I was maintaining that slight surplus, because if it, if it, if I was going in and out of a surplus and a deficit, by not really making sure that, um, staying on top of my expenditure and intake, I found that it, it just made it much harder to make progress in the gym and yeah. I, it was it much easier to just kind of get stuck in ruts. And it, and it wasn't, you know, that's where everything was tracked on the training side of things that, 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 not that that's hard, but like putting thought into programming, being smart about it. But if I wasn't really careful with my calories or if even, even, if I were to let the weekends kind of plummet, um, it would make a difference. It's not, it wasn't so bad that I would, like, lose muscle over the weekend or something like that. But um, that next week, that might be the difference. How much, how much I eat over that weekend might be the difference of gaining a rep or two on a big lift or two in that next week or not.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so we have pretty similar body types, it sounds like. Uh, I have about a 6'4 arm span. Uh, I'm six one and I'm in the one nineties. Yeah, so so. I, I can definitely relate to you know, what I'm, to the... you know th- yeah, I that's why <laughs> yeah, me. I have
1: long monkey arms. We probably look very similar than standing side by yeah. side.
0: And like you, you know, my deadlift was great pretty early on. Uh my squat was horrible and yep. <laughs> pretty much has always stayed horrible. Yep. So yeah, it, it's definitely I've a never
1: squatted more than three sixty five for two or three.
0: Right. Really? Yeah, that's uh... and I had to so work I... I had to work for that. Well, I think I was telling I don't know who I was talking to about this, but um My crap – I've squatted 405 was, like, the most i squatted, which, as you know, is not that great. Um, But I was more proud of that than I was my triple bodyweight deadlift because my triple bodyweight deadlift was within, like, four years, three or four years of lifting. um, And I was just built for it. And that squat took legit, like, ten years to hit that. so, yeah. Um, And so, actually, I was going to ask you about if you kind of just stopped because you are – you don't really want to put the effort in, or if you think you can. It sounds like you said you think you could put on 10 pounds more. Is that based on because of like looking at the fat free mass indicators and that you're yeah, only at looking, 23 or?
1: Yeah, looking at uh, Butts's. So if you look at Butts's, Burkins mm-hmm. and Uh, Aragon's models. And I believe one other, I have an article on my website. Um, it's like how much muscle you can build naturally. And we have a calculator in it, which is kind of cool. So you can play around with the different models and see, and also just, I guess just based on my experience, I go, yeah, I could see that I've gained a couple pounds. I would say three pounds over the last three years or so. And that Mm -hmm. was not, not, I would say it's not that I didn't, uh, it's not that I wasn't trying, but there also was just the reality of like, you know, I have two kids and yes. when I was, I had a good run in my mid to late twenties there when I first started kind of getting my act together in the gym where I was sleeping perfectly. Um, and I was, it's just, my body was doing, I don't know. It just, I was able to really give it everything it needs to, to, to kind of respond as, as, um, anabolically as possible, I guess you could say. And over the last few years, for example, one thing is my sleep has been on and off. And part of that is, is having kids and babies. And part of that also is, I don't know, I don't know if it's just getting older. Like my dad has, uh, always been a a light sleeper, especially as he got older. So genetically I might just and I think that's actually pretty standard that you you become a lighter sleeper because previously mm-hmm. like when i was twenty eight I would fall asleep within five minutes and yep. I would just open my eyes and it would be you know I would sleep huh. maybe six and a half hours a night was my was my normal I would just wake up naturally, open my eyes, and that's it like every night wow. and and now um it's sometimes I still get that here and there that's like a lucky night. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm waking up once to kind of go to the bathroom or whatever. And that's not a big deal. I can fall back asleep. But sometimes I'll wake up two or three times for no good reason. Yeah. Last night last night was one of those nights. And so, you know, right now, um, and my, my workout this morning was okay. I, I actually, I was able to move up on one exercise, one rep on my close grip bench press. Yay. But that's... Uh, it was it was tough when when I was getting more bad sleep than good sleep. I was always – I wouldn't skip workouts. I mean there were some nights actually where it was like ridiculous. I woke up seven times some nights. It was – I don't even wow. know what, was, what the fuck was going on. And so I actually did skip a couple workouts simply because it's not that I wasn't willing to go do it if I didn't feel rested. It was just like, is this even productive? Right, um, yeah. You know what I mean? What's the point? I might as well just take the day off and I'll, I'll, I'll fit it in on the weekend or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but – now, now, now I have more good sleep than bad, but you know, previously I hadn't experienced that. So now I experienced that over the last few years, which made it very hard to make progress in terms of getting stronger at least. But I was still able to put work in and, and, um, get volume in. So, I so was still able to, to gain a little bit of muscle just going by my body composition measurements. Um, you know so that's actually one to answer something that you had mentioned that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why I, I'm I haven't pushed for that extra 10 pounds that I think let's say it's 8 to 10 pounds that I do think I could get one other reason though is I I'm pretty happy with where my physique is at right now um and the majority probably half of that weight would go into my lower body which is okay but not exactly the look that I want um yeah. I'm pretty happy with my lower body development. Like I I've worked pretty hard on it, but by bodybuilding standards, my legs are probably too small for yeah. if, you, if you were to compare them to my upper body, even though by just basic aesthetic standards, I think they're not, I think they look okay. I mean, my mm-hmm. calves are, are, are a perpetual disappointment, but, uh, I refuse to give up on them. I still train, <laughs> I still train them three days a week and they, they're, they're, they're coming. They're coming. Uh, a do you know what mil- they measure a millimeter at a time? Um, I measured them recently. I want to say around 15 to 15 and a half, something like that. I might be, might be, let's say 15, give or take. And, but what's pathetic, what's pathetic is, dude, I had, I had like just ankles before Mm -hmm. I had my dad, I'll blame him. (laughs) He has no calves whatsoever. So, you know, I have probably 17 and a half inch arms and 15 to 15 and a half inch, definitely not 16, uh, inch calves. And, but I'm still working on them. At least I haven't given up.
0: When I started, I had, you know, so I was like 12, but I had, I think, like 10 inch arms and 12 inch calves. And now they're like, you know, I got it to like 17 inch arms, but like you, like 15 and a half inch calves. So they just, yeah. So then when you, when you, them and when you never... wear,
1: yeah, when it, I mean, it's just, it's probably, probably similarly, uh, we probably, you know, calves can be very high in type one, mm-hmm. uh, muscle fiber, which is just, yeah, it's just a bitch. It's just, yeah. Stubborn. That's the way it is. I I really actually do think most of what makes great calves is genetics. You know, you oh have those, absolutely. Yeah, those absolutely. people that they don't even train them. I know a guy like that who got into lifting. Um never trains calves. He was he started out like very overweight and mm-hmm. then he got he got lean and got pretty jacked, and his calves are the most ridiculous. I mean, they're there's like what you'd see in a on a stage. I mean, split they're, they're yeah, like, a, just, like a, it's like a plateau that it just kind of comes off his leg you know what i mean mm-hmm. and he constantly has guys in the gym come up to him and ask how the fuck did you get those calves and he's like i've never trained calves once <laughs> yeah
0: it, it's and that, that's the only muscle that you see that with it's crazy it's just it's unbelievable i know so, so uh something i was going to say is i mean from what you said before i think i might know the answer but uh, it seems like most of your gear or most of your uh, work is geared towards you know, like general population and maybe not completely general population, but not like the hardcore people. Yep. Um, and that that's actually the population I like to work with and train the most. Um, not that I don't train anybody who's more advanced, but I just find it more rewarding and more satisfying to help those people. Um, so why, why do you gear your work towards them?
1: Yeah, that's exactly why um, there's also, so first it is there are, If we look at the problems, we have many problems in the world today, but in, in, in terms of health and disease, that's, that's where you're going to make the biggest impact is, Mm -hmm. is just helping everyday people who just want to get fit. Um, and so that is, yes, that that's more rewarding than helping a super fit person get even more super fit. All right. Um, Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but, um, as far as a, as a, a mission statement goes, even just for yourself, for are like, why do I matter? You know what I mean? What am I, what am I giving to society? How, how, how can I justify my existence basically? Right. Uh, I think the more, the more just everyday people you can help, the more of an impact you can make in that way. And, um, I, I guess also it's, the level of expertise that is required to to serve the intermediate and advanced crowd well is very high. And mm-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with that, but when you weigh the amount of work that goes into that versus the personal satisfaction for me, I found that I got more satisfaction out of knowing what I know and knowing what I not know. And so like, for example, I've had professional athletes and D1 athletes come to me and um, ask me to work with them and I've referred them off to other people because I've Mm. just told them like, I'm not the, it's not that I am afraid that I'm going to like mess them up or anything, but I'm just like, I, I don't specialize in this. And I honestly don't feel like I am an, I'm expert enough in what you need to, to serve you well. So I would rather give you all over to somebody who is, and because to be what you need to be for, for that crowd is, a whole nother game. And you, you don't have time to be both. You don't have time right. to write, to create a bunch of content for just the general population and answer their basic questions. And that's really what I'm in, in the scheme of things. That's really what I'm doing. I mean, I, um, I don't go too technical on anything. I like to give people just enough technical know-how so they understand the mechanisms of, uh, that are in play and they understand why I'm recommending what I'm recommending, Um, but that's, I intentionally kind of stop there, um, give them as much as they need to know to get results. And you can't do that well and have, unless you don't have to sleep or something and, and do all the work that it takes to really stay on the cutting edge of, um, whether even if it's, even if it's, even if it's muscle building, because let's, let's, let's say, let's take a guy like Eric Helms, right? So he's working with a lot of, of. Bodybuilders. There's the scientific side of things, which that's a, a lot of time, and 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 then there's also the art of bodybuilding. It's not simply a matter of uh, making sure that your your spreadsheet is laid out nicely and that you've kind of checked all the boxes in terms of um, training variables. There's also the art of bodybuilding of you know assessing physiques and understanding what what needs to be done to. Um, improve them to improve to, to 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 ultimately win win bodybuilding competitions All right and um so yeah so those are those are the main reasons and then and then obviously i think it's a better business decision also because there are a yeah. lot more just normal people who are willing to spend a little bit of money to get in shape and um so i thought about that in the beginning it just kind of seemed like a win win
0: yeah, I mean, and like you said, there is a certain amount of knowledge. And, you know, obviously Eric Helms says it's a two masters and a Ph.D., so he's, he's quite qualified to do what he does. Um, but I think when you and I, we look at, let's say, an advanced athlete, there might be, you know, maybe some doubt. Do we have what we need to get them to the next level? Whereas if we see somebody general population, and, and when I say general population, I don't mean like somebody who's never worked out, but even somebody who's just like they want to go from, you know, beginner, intermediate to intermediate, advanced, let's say you and I, I think we look at that and we know we can get them there. It's largely about compliance and habit yep. formation and stuff like that. There's no yep. question of how to do it. We just need them to stick to it. Exactly. Uh, and, and so how do you go about that? How do, because habits obviously are, are hugely ingrained in us. And I was fortunate enough to get started very young, but I do sympathize with the people who come to me and they're 20 to 30 years old and they have decades of bad habits. So how do you go about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, I address a bit of that in the most recent book that I published, which was kind of just done on a whim. It was done for fun. I didn't really know how it was going to be received, but it it's doing well, which is cool. It's called the little black book of workout motivation. Hmm. And, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, cause I get asked a lot like questions like that. And also, um, just people asking kind of like, what are my, my, what are, what are the biggest lessons that I've learned in being successful in the gym to, to the degree that I have been. And, and also in, in my business and, or businesses and in my personal life. Um, and so I thought it might be interesting to kind of write instead of doing a more, um, or instead of, looking at a, at something like habits, for example, like you have the, uh, the power of habit from do where you, you take a look at the literature and you take a look at, um, what the key points are that, you know, you could communicate and you make some stories around it and you did a good job. Um, I thought it'd be more like, well, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to be looking at it through the lens of what I feel like has made the biggest difference for me personally. And, um, it it, it may or may not for you. (laughs) Like this, this stuff may or may not resonate with you. Um, but for, for habit building in particular, I really don't think the topic is, is, um, all that complicated. I mean, there are, especially, especially with health and, and fitness, because if you can just get somebody, moving in the right direction and get them to start seeing results and get them to understand that they're going to fall off the wagon here and there and mm-hmm. that's that's totally fine it doesn't it doesn't matter and and go over some basic things of you know not not coming down hard on themselves not overreacting um because they like ate uh 500 more calories than they were supposed to one day yeah. like who cares it actually just doesn't even matter mm-hmm. um and and get them to kind of reframe depending on where they're at. I mean, some, some people, um, it all just kind of falls into place naturally because when they do start seeing uh, results and there are thinking with the long term. So, you know, I, I have a workout journal that goes with both of my books for men and women just because people are always asking for it where it's just a year's worth of workouts planned out for them um, already pre filled in there. And I chose a year though. And I also give those workouts for free with, as just bonus content with the, the, with the books. But some people like to have something hard that, and they don't necessarily want to like print it and take it to wherever and get it spiral bound or whatever. Um, so by, by first even looking at, I think a longer, um, time horizon, that's beneficial saying, Okay, I'm in this for a year. I'm not in this for just a week. So then, because then, if you slip up one day, or even right. even if you have a bad week, it's really not that big of a deal because in the context of things, we're talking about one three hundred and sixty fifth of the year that you know that you're yeah. looking forward to, and and understanding that you don't have to be perfect in in anything, but especially in health and fitness, you just have to be good enough most of the time, yeah. and and that's especially true for just everyday normal people, even myself included at this point, who want to get and stay fit. You don't need to be, you you know, you can go on YouTube and you can find all kinds of things. And especially if you're getting into people who are competitors or just, um, neurotically into this stuff where you, you get a false, um, it's like a, it's like a false standard. You think that that's yeah, sure. what that's, that's, if you're not doing that, you're failing, it's black or white. And, mm-hmm. um, so anyways, there are a number of concepts. Again, I kind of discuss in that, in that little black book of workout motivation. those are conversations that I've just had with people over the years and things that have ideas that have resonated with me and just helped me kind of stay on track. Um, but I, I don't, I, I haven't done that much reading on the subject of, uh-huh habit building because for me personally, that's never been an issue. So any of the reading that I have done actually was more like research for articles that I've written or, uh, or even, or even this book where I, I shared, it was, here are things that work for me. And I found like, oh, okay, well there there actually is some, uh, that, that, that you could say that that was a science based thing, even though I just kind of came up with it myself. I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware that there is actually some research on that, uh, uh, what I was doing or whatever. Um, but then also sharing my own personal stories. And so for me, um, I would say habits have never been uh, a problem, but that's probably because I have just, uh, I m- created good habits for, um, I've had, I've had a quite a, quite a few good habits for, for some time. And it's, there is that point where let's say, you know, I work out, um, I go to, I I lift weights five days a week and not doing that would be harder at this point than, than doing it, you know? Um, and, but I I can understand to some degree, the the one thing that I can, like, I can, I I can, I can look at and go, what's what's a habit that was actually hard to break was looking at porn, for example. Mm -hmm. So I wish I would have never looked at porn, you know, I was, but I was fucking, 12 right and i was you know growing up on the internet and it's impossible to not uh it it seems like especially when i mean being that age and as i got older though i started to just be like there's something about this i don't like and now there's a whole bunch of research on just how bad it is for you um, yeah and how much it can screw up your relationships and your expectations and even actually i saw newer research that it um it, 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 screws with your brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. And so I would say I was never, I don't think I, yeah, I mean, I, I never got to a point where I was addicted to it, but to, to really finally just never look at it again. Um, I don't know. It took, it took time and it took where I would not look at it for two months and then, and then look at it. And, um, it's been a while now. So at this point, again, I've I've reached long reached that point where like not looking at it is easier than, than than looking right. at it I have I have no interest in in looking at it um anymore but so I can understand, and a lot of that was again just kind of not getting too hard on myself, and um I've always been honest with my Uh, girlfriend and she's now my wife, but I I wouldn't hide it from her if she were to Mm -hmm. ask, you know what I mean? I would always tell her, but, um, or maybe, maybe there's a point when I was really young where I was kind of embarrassed and I wouldn't tell her, but I got to a point where I was willing to tell her. And, uh, but it was being patient and, I guess for me, what helped with that is a random I don't want to go off on a random tangent, but I really disagree with it from I think the effects that it's having in society are really bad. So from that, even from that perspective alone, it's like I don't want to support that. And even by going to those websites and participating in it, I am personally supporting it to some degree. Mm-hmm. And so that that mattered to me. Like that was something that made sense to me because at the time there wasn't that I can remember any, any real research available in like, in terms of how is this affecting me? You know what I mean? But, um, anyways, random personal story of that's one thing that I can, I, I can, I can relate to. Whereas like for, I've never really had any problems with food. For example, cutting mm-hmm. has always been an easy thing. You just restrict yeah. your calories. I you know, I'm not a binge kind of person. Um, so anyways, I share, I share some of my experiences and share what has, worked for me. And then, and then also some, some other stuff that, um, is anecdotal from just successful people and also stuff pulled from research in that book. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, actually, I I think the porn example is a good one because people tend to have willpower in different areas oftentimes. And so you, you know, you've got this great willpower with nutrition and exercise, but then when it came to this other thing, it was harder Um, and it took, you know, a lot of times for, to develop a habit, you need to either write it down or or consciously have a reason why it's important to you. You know, if you just say, I just, I'm going to do this. Well, why? And for you, you had a legitimate reason there, you know, I don't want to support this. I think it's causing problems. And so that reason probably. And, and my girl,
1: my, my girlfriend didn't, you know, she wasn't, she wouldn't get super upset about it, but it didn't make, she didn't, she didn't like that I was doing that. It was, she's Mm -hmm. not in. I don't think she's ever even seen porn in her life. And um, so for her – and I understand. It was like kind of upsetting to her that I'm looking at these other girls and what mm-hmm. is that? You know what I mean? Sure. And, uh And so I understood that as well. But no, I totally agree is – they're especially something like that where there's yeah, that's truly you have mo they have moments of true temptation so I can understand that food has just mm-hmm. never been I've never I never felt that like that I can remember really felt that way about food unless it's oh I'm gonna go have my quote-unquote cheat meal and it's gonna be good I'm gonna enjoy yeah. it I mean
0: yeah I um and you and I are similar and I, I knew that about you just from an, of another podcast I heard that you were on and like you, I've been very dedicated and it's never been, I mean, not just with this, with school, with uh, most areas of my life. Um, and so when I started training people, it was very hard for me to relate to somebody who just said, Oh, well, I had have this goal. And then I check in in a week and they did like five things, you know, opposing that goal. And it was, I just didn't understand. I was like, why would you not, you know, you said you had this goal. Um, but that's, you know, that's most people, most people, um, it, they have a hard time sticking to things. And actually, uh, a quick anecdote on my part was when I was, I don't know, sometime in college, um, I had my thyroid levels tested. They were low. So a doctor prescribed me a thyroid hormone. And I don't know what the deal with it was, but I have never been so hungry in my life. So I don't know if it was, I was on too much or what happened. And I probably it was a really like unhealthy period where I was having like a full on cheat day every two to three days. And it, it, yeah. And and I've literally after like 12 years of never cheating on my diet. And then that happened. And it just made me realize like, okay, maybe there's more to it. You know, maybe there's somebody's, you know, brain chemistry. There's, it's not so simple if I, after 12 years was breaking down on my diet from this hormone, you know, so that's that's a good point.
1: That's a good yeah. point. I mean, I've, I've, um, let's see, the only blood test I've done is I did one when I got, uh, life insurance and mm-hmm. ev- everything was, was like perfect or whatever, which is fine. But, um, uh, that was, what did I do? Four years ago. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I'd say that has changed for the worse since then is my sleep. I was, as I was mentioning, I'm sleeping yep. generally okay, but it's just not what it once was. Right. Um, but I would be surprised given all my other healthy habits. Like I have, and it sound I guess it sounds kind of silly, but I, I don't know what, if I have a vice, I honestly don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not like I don't drink. I don't use recreational drugs. I eat very little, anything that can even be considered quote unquote bad simply because I enjoy eating nutritious foods, blah, blah, blah. So I would assume that things are, um, probably more or less in line with that, with my previous results. And if I go back earlier, I don't have any reason to assume that things would have been worse because I Mm -hmm. kind of like you got into good habits at a young age. So maybe that, maybe that's a part of it. Something that we've benefited greatly from is, um, just good, good chemistry, good, good, good good, good hormones. And I mean, obviously you ran into an issue later, but, uh, you know, so that's something that could have been just an unseen, influence in my life that you could just kind of chalk it up to luck I guess. I mean, yeah, a bit I mean, of it, a bit of it might be due to some choices that I made at a young age, but you know.
0: Yeah, I mean just one more way, genetics, you know, kind of seeps into all areas. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I guess in the end though, um I would say and this is speaking from experience working with a lot of people, um most people, of course, when you look at it in terms of a bell curve, genetically are going to be around normal. Mm-hmm. Um not going to be outstanding, they're not going to be under performers and so in in a lot of cases where you have people whose chemistry is off it's almost it's in my experience almost always mostly due to bad bad decisions they've made and they they can be fixed and you if you if we're talking about years and years and years of bad decisions have now you know created this problem it's not going to be fixed overnight it doesn't necessarily take years and years and years to fix it which is nice but who knows it may take a year it may take two years of uh where it does require a bit more willpower and it requires a bit more of you gotta you know you're gonna you're gonna slip up a bit more often than maybe you'd like and you just have to kind of tough it out and um again, my stupid porn story is my only best example of that. But yeah. it was like, it was a bit odd for me as a person. Cause similar to you, you know, I'm very similar in that regard, but I'm very, it's even down to like what I do every day. I'm very much a routine person. I wake up at the same time I go and I read and I work out and I do all these things. And I, I generally do the things that I want to do and that I know I should be doing and don't do the things that I don't want to do and know that I should not be doing. And so for me, it to even have a situation where I'm like, you know, do that. And then I'm like, I know, or even before, like as a, when, when the decision is being made where it's like, I should not, this is a bad decision. Like, what am I yeah. doing? This yeah. part of me. You know what I mean? So, in, but instead of maybe getting too in trying to psychologize it too much, um, for me, it was more just getting back to why and just keep going and, in, in a way I wouldn't say, you know, just going, okay, good. So it's, it was, I had gone three months without uh, looking at any porn and then I did. Okay. It's, that's unfortunate. Um, but it's, it's a good, it's moving in the right direction. So, you know, whatever kind of thing. And eventually, yeah. And eventually then it just kind of, that was the end of it. Uh, I remember, um, I don't know, years ago, some time ago where I was like, huh, I haven't looked at porn in a long time. And like, I just realized like that's it that that's done now. Yeah. Um, so similarly, you know, I, I understand people come where they have issues like that with food or exercise, or maybe it's alcohol or, or whatever. And um, it's progress in anything is basically never linear. And th- it's usually pretty, usually pretty messy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what, what matters most is that you just get to where you want to be because it, nobody cares how you got there. They only care right. that Oh, you did something cool! Like that's great, and the you know the story—the messier it is, actually, usually the better the story is. Yeah. If it's if it's too neat and orderly, a lot of people they they don't even find that motivating. They're just like, "Well, fuck you! You're a fucking robot, whatever." Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so I can I can you know I can relate. I can relate to that, and um, so yeah, I don't. I think I think that's uh, that's it. That's my commentary on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, my friends in college used to call me RoboMac because I literally was just like everything I did. It was just, you know, planned out. So I guess it could yeah. be boring, but, it you know, it helped me achieve a lot of things. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My friends also, they still call me a robot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I like to kind of end on an actionable step. So let's say one of these people we talked about, you know, they're beginner, intermediate, and they want to get to that next stage uh, after buying Bigger, Leaner, Stronger. Uh, what would you say is their next step to kind of really get on the right path?
1: Mm, I would say, um, it's, it's going to come down to more education. There's a bit more you need to learn, uh, mostly in terms of programming. That's what the exercise is what changes the most. And it doesn't have to, it really depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, Again, on the diet side of things, I really honestly don't think there's much more you need to know other than, um, you may find that if all you paid attention to was calories, macros, and trying to kind of eat semi quote unquote cleanly, You might find some slight performance benefits in getting a bit more specific in terms of your your nutrition, and you know, eating a variety of fruits and vegetables that provide your body with not only just the vitamins and minerals they need, but other phytonutrients and things that just can help. Even if it's a little bit with recovery, or um, you know, you might want to look into supplementation. If you're not already taking creatine, you might as well. It it can help a little bit, Um, and. The training, though, is where you're going to have to – it's not just getting fancy with your programming, but it's mostly what it comes down to is you're going to have to do a lot more work. You're going to have to figure out how to put more hard work into your training without breaking yourself, basically. Mm-hmm. And so for that, um, I have a book – that I'm I'm actually currently working on the second edition of it. So it's called Beyond Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, and okay. I, I like I like where it's at right now. It's a it's a simple periodized program. I mean it's still is it's based on the fundamentals in, in Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, but I really like the outline I've put together for the second edition, which is um, the result of now years and years of additional reading and doing and working with people. And so that's a resource also stronger by science.com. Greg Knuckles, work is a good resource. Um, and again, I think I, I like Greg's work a lot and that he's mm-hmm. very smart and he has a very deep understanding of all this, but he also does a good job making things practical. Yeah. You, you got to get used to reading very long articles cause that's how, yeah. he, that's how he rolls. Uh, but he's going to give you great information and, um, yeah, I mean honestly I, I would say I'm trying to think if there's anything if there's anything else really I, I that that, that those, those those would be my 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 yeah, things really that come to mind right away because again you don't need to know that much more like between what I'm putting in this new book and if you just dive into some of Greg's work on programming um you're going to know what you need to do and then it really is just a matter of doing it making sure you're sleeping enough making sure your diet is is where it needs to be and just um getting used to a lot of fucking work for not a lot of progress.
0: <laughs> <That's>... Yeah, really <laughs> cool. So, uh, so you have the muscle for life website. Um, really impressed with the amount of content you put out in these books. I, I know you're pretty passionate about writing. Um, so you have the bigger, leaner, stronger, I guess now the beyond bigger, leaner, stronger, thinner, leaner, stronger, I believe is, is kind of like the female equivalent. Yeah. Um, and where, where else can people find you? What else do you have? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, muscle for life, uh, muscle for is, is the hub. Um, so I have those things and I also have a supplement company, which, um, is the long story short. My, my elevator pitch on that is one thing I like is that the products don't contain any artificial sweeteners, flavorings dyes. Not that that stuff is, um, as bad as some of the alarmists would have you believe, but mm-hmm. I do think it is probably bad. Uh, it's probably not optimal for your long-term health to be having anywhere from eight to 10 plus servings of sucralose or ACE-K a day. And that's a separate discussion. Um, No, it's not going to give you cancer, but it's probably not good for your gut health and that can impact you negatively in different ways. And also really what it comes down to is I spend quite a bit to create those products. Um, For example, my greens supplement costs me like $18 a bottle to make it. Um, And I sell it for, I believe it's... it goes for forty, which okay. is a—it's a decent margin. Um, not compared it's, to some, it's not—it's not very good, honestly. Like in the yeah. business side, on the business side of things, I didn't even fully inform myself in the beginning of what types <laughs> of multiples are needed to yeah. hit to hit even the gross profit and to hit the the cost of goods numbers that you need to hit to be able to spend money competitively in the in the advertising side of things. Mm. So. Um, Legion is the is the supplement company. Legionathletics.com. It has done well. Um, I mean, it, it's this will be its second year of eight figures of, in sales, um, but that's mostly because I've been able to use all the other stuff I'm doing to get a lot of new customers. If I didn't have that platform, I wouldn't have the marketing budgets or the advertising budgets to compete with a lot of these bigger players. Um, because the margins just aren't there. My cost of goods, like from a business perspective, my cost of goods is way too high. Like a business person would look at that and be like, this is really dumb. (laughs) Who thought of this? Uh, But (laughs) in the beginning I was just like, I want to make really good stuff. And, uh, I thought that if you on average had like a 50% margin, I thought that that, that works. And I was wrong, but (laughs) But it's fine. Uh the, the company what in the end, what, what's cool about it though is um the products are very good. And you know, I have a scientific advisory board. Uh Eric Helms is on it actually, as oh, well okay. as Menno Henselman's and Spencer Nodolsky. and it's headed up by Curtis Frank, I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with him.
0: Yeah, from Examine, right?
1: Exactly. So he's the co-founder. He Basically, I mean, m- the vast majority of the technical information on Examine was written by Curtis. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, a f- at a pharma D level of understanding in terms of biology and supplementation. So yeah. Curtis, I've been working with on the formulations since the beginning. So what's, it's been fun to be able to go to someone like him and give him a real budget and say, Hey, um, let's make a, a multivitamin and actually how we do it is he just makes the best possible product he possibly can. And we don't even worry about price to start. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we go get it quoted and it's always way too high. And then we go, okay, then we, we go, it's really what it mostly comes down to is dropping ingredients. Like in that greens supplement, he wanted to include a good dose of anthocyanins, the pigment like in blueberries. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that alone was going to be $30 a bottle.
0: Oh wow.
1: Yeah. So it's like, well, we gotta drop that. Instead of pixie dusting, instead of putting a milligram so we can then pretend like Yeah, yeah, we just we just drop the ingredient altogether. And and Curtis, again, he's the ultimate, he's the best person at work, at least that I've come across in, in my travels, because he just knows this stuff so well. Where even in certain cases where he's like, Okay, so here's the clinically effective range, we can go on the lower end of this range. Um, and here's why, because of this other ingredient and here's how they work together. And so it's pretty neat. Um, so that's, that's the supplement company. It's, I guess it's a long elevator pitch, but <laughs> I, I like, I like what we've done with it because again, these are like, it's like scratch my own itch. These are just the products I wish other people would have made. So I just started making them myself and then it turned out other people like them too, which is kind of fun. Yeah. yeah um, that's an
0: awesome team you've got behind there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, we have, uh, and it's fun also because they, they, uh, it's, there's a marketing element to it, but they also do function as an advisory board. You know, Curtis mm-hmm. goes to them and he, he knows his shit, but they know their shit too. And oftentimes they come at formulations, maybe from a different angle or just ask good questions that um, ultimately improves the, the products. And um, anyways, so that's, that's the sub company. And I have an app too, that I'm actually doing a whole overhaul on get It's called stacked. And that is a, Uh, something that I do did not need to do, but now I have it. And after I got is one of those stupid naive kind of like, how hard is it to make a simple, straightforward weightlifting app? And then $200,000 later, and (laughs) who knows how many hours and hours and hours of work that I did not think it was necessarily going to take. Um, but I am doing a, a whole overhaul on it, which I'm excited about because right now it's, free for your first 20 workouts or something like that. And there's just a one-time fee and that's it. You unlock it. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to make it hundred percent free with the new one. um, Because why not? Like I don't care about the money that it, it produces and I would rather just have something that is just as good as, if not better than its best paid competitor and just make it free. And I think that alone, uh, similar to what I was talking about way earlier with the emails where people are super happy to hear back from me, even if they had to wait a week or maybe even two weeks, because they, they're not paying for it and they understand that like I don't have to take my time to answer emails. Yeah. Um but I but I choose to. Similarly with this app, I think it's going to generate a lot of goodwill and people are going to appreciate that it they would they would be happy to pay for it. Maybe they wouldn't be happy to pay every month like some of these apps try to charge people, but they would be happy to pay five dollars or whatever maybe even a little bit more for it but it's it's free just because so that's my plan
0: awesome man yeah well i can see i mean you're everywhere like i said before and i can see why um so thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and uh i'll let you know when i post everything
1: awesome thank you